You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Jesus Tree, Part 2. Enjoy. I know that might be shocking. You say, well, how can you say that? Because Jesus told me so. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I haven't found one instance where Jesus made anyone sick. You, go, you try and find it. It's not in the Bible. Right? If a father loves a child, would that father make his child sick? Of course not. Would that be a good father to do that? Of course not. You know, you can understand the Bible when you realize how good God is. If you don't realize how good God is, you misunderstand the Bible. And one of my favorite uh, things to encourage people is that when you're reading the Bible, if you read something about God that doesn't seem to make sense, ask yourself this simple question. Would a good father do that? Okay? And if the answer is no, then we've misunderstood God's character. We've misunderstood what we've just read. We interpret the Bible through the light of Christ. Jesus perfectly represented the heart of God in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. So we interpret Genesis through Malachi through the light of Christ. And we interpret the epistles through the light of Christ. He's the key to understanding the scriptures. We started a new series last week called The Jesus Tree. And we're talking about our supernatural family tree. It begins with Jesus. And uh, in order to consistently experience, and the key word there is consistently, consistently experience the will of God for our lives, we need to identify with who we are in Christ. You need to see yourself as the new creation that you are in Christ. There's a much greater identity than your natural family. Much greater. And that is the identity that you have now through faith in Christ. Now, if you've put your faith in Christ, for example, if you've believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and with your mouth, and this is something you have to do of your own free will, no one can do this for you, but you believe that God raised him from the dead, and with your own mouth, you've confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life, you are in Christ. When you did that, whether you realize it or not, the Holy Spirit made your spirit brand new. Our mind, our soul wasn't made new, and our body wasn't made new, but our spirit was made new. And really, the Christian walk is simply realizing what happened to us when we put our faith in Christ. And getting a greater revelation of who we are now, not going to be, but now in Christ. All right, so let's start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's time to know who you're born of and where you come from. If I say where you come from, the, the, the ultimate answer to that is heaven now, if Jesus is your Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, not he's going to be, is his present tense, right? He is a new creation. The old has gone. That's past tense, isn't it? The new has come. That means it's here now. You are a new creation. I like how Weymouth translation says it. So that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. That's you. The old state of things has passed away. 
You're not who you were anymore. Aren't you glad? A new state of things has come into existence. This is who you are in Christ. In order to consistently experience the nature and will of God for your lives, you need to know that you're a new creation in Him. So really, it's not a matter, all of us have needs in our lives, right? It's not a matter of God doing something more. It's simply us, us a matter of us realizing what He's already done. Isn't that great? My prayers changed decades ago when I started to realize this. Oh, I really don't need to ask God for anything. I just need to realize what he's already done for me through the sacrifice of his son. Because he covered everything. He didn't forget one detail of your life in the atoning work of his son. Every circumstance, every detail to the hairs on our head. That's a loving God that would care for us that much. He has you covered. Now, we're going to get into some fun stuff today, and you know I like to, to, to shock you a little bit. So I like to check. You've got your seatbelts on, right? And your religious goggles are off. Your religious earbuds are out. All right. We'll ease into it. We don't want to startle you too much. So, in fact, when someone came up to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 28, I mean, they saw what he did. And we said last week that Jesus didn't do what he did as the Son of God in all of his glory in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And that could seem like blasphemy, but it's true. Because we learned in Philippians 2 that Jesus actually laid down his glory before he came to earth. He came to earth as a baby. Okay? He didn't come to earth with a halo and shining, and he didn't elevate above the, the ground and do these amazing feats as the glorious Son of God. He actually came as a man. Amen. And it's very important to understand that. And, and so they asked him uh, in John chapter 6, they said, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Can you put that up there? Do you have that 628, John 628? Yeah. Then just stay right there for a second. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, religion has a long list to answer that question. Religion will tell you, well, you got to pray a lot. you got to read your Bible a lot. you got to go to church a lot. you got to do a lot of good things every day. You, you, you can't make a, too many mistakes. And on and on and on and on. Look how Jesus answered it. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Believe in Him whom he sent. Where's the long list? There's not one. This is a relationship based on faith. That's what we've come into, not into religion. We don't have long lists. Our faith is in him and he is who he says he is. Right? So to do the works, I simply need to recognize who he is and put my faith in him whom he, who God has sent, right? Now, we know that Jesus came to fulfill two roles. Number one, as the Lamb of God, right? And as the Lamb of God, he was our substitute. The second role he came to fulfill was as the Son of Man. Do you know Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man about 80 times in the Gospels? That's a lot. 
Why? Because he was, wanted us to know what life is like as a man or a woman with faith in God as your father. He was our example as the Son of Man. As the Lamb of God, He was our substitute. As the Son of Man, He was our brother. Doesn't the Scripture say He's our brother now? Right? Our elder brother. In fact, God is now our Father, right? Our family tree, the Jesus tree. God is our Father. Jesus is our elder brother. And the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. This is who we are. Hallelujah. Isn't this good? In fact, Jesus had the audacity to say this a little later in chapter 14 of John. Let's put that up there, verse 12. I tell you the truth. He wants us to be sure and certain, right? He didn't have to say that, but he knows how the enemy likes to shoot darts our way of doubt, right? I tell you the truth. If there's anyone you can trust, it's Jesus. Anyone who has faith in me. So what's the qualification? Faith. That's it. Not where you come from, not what, what nation you're from. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. What had he been doing? Raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out devils, right? He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This is who we are now. You say, but I don't feel like it. Don't ever base what you believe on the way you feel. There's a much greater reality. The way you feel is going to change yes. daily. Yes. But the things of God don't change. Who you are in Christ doesn't change. Yes. You're the righteousness of God now, and that's not going to change tomorrow because you forgot to water the gardens or whatever you forgot to do, right? I'm going to ease into this. This is going to be good, okay? So, you're a new creature. God's your Father. The kingdom of God is now inside of you. The reality of who you are will become more real to you as you believe it in your heart and speak it with your mouth. If you don't speak it with your mouth, you're never going to experience it. You might get little tastes of it here and there, but if you want to consistently walk in the new life, the abundant life that Christ came to give you, you have to begin to say about yourself what God has said about you. For example, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is something you should say regularly. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right after you just blew your temper, said something you shouldn't have said, threw the vase across the kitchen and shattered it on the wall, or, you know, or pulled your cat's tail and flung it out the back door or whatever. Right there, said, nope, that's not who I am. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Love is shed abroad in my heart. Is that just a pretty greeting card I just said? Love is shed abroad in my heart. Is that in the scriptures? The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So we say that regularly about ourselves. I don't go around telling other people that. Hi, how are you doing? I'm Joseph. The love of God's been shed. No, I talk to myself. I need to hear that. Talk to yourself regularly throughout the day. I talk to myself uh, almost as much as I talk to God, I think. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I, I have a relationship with myself. I tell myself how it, how it feels, what it's going to do, and who, who I am. I do. 
I get my ID from the scriptures and I tell myself, I put it up before myself. I say, this is who you are now. Just like I check my driver's license to find out how to get home, right? I tell myself, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I say, love, joy, and peace are growing in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? So we say these things about ourselves and don't let the devil tell you, well, yeah, look. Well, you're really a new creation, right? A new creation wouldn't have thought the thought that you just thought. A new creation wouldn't have uh, looked at what you just looked at. A new creation wouldn't have done what you just done. And you know what you say to that? I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Satan tries to condemn us by our shortcomings. But we're not focused on our shortcomings. We're focused on who we are in Him. Right? We're conscious of our, our new life in Christ. And that's how we experience it, all right? Okay, let's do it. So the kingdom of God we saw last week is likened unto a seed. Do you remember that? In Mark chapter 4, verses 30 and 32. And we know that in order for a natural seed to grow, it's got to be germinated, all right? And in order for a seed to be germinated, it needs certain conditions. It needs uh, what? water, light, oxygen, air, the right temperature. Well, in order for the kingdom of God to be activated inside of you, you need a couple things. You need the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Okay? But those two things are grossly misunderstood, so we're going to take a little time on them. All right? And this is where we're going to get into some shocking stuff about the Word of God. All right? But it's going to be good, so just stay with me here. So if the Word of God, we're going to liken unto water and light, okay? And the Spirit of God, uh, we're going to liken unto air, the breath of God, air or oxygen, and the right temperature, the fire of the Holy Spirit, all right? Now, Jesus, when he was at, uh, talking to the woman at the well, he said that God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. God's word is truth. You need those two things. If you just have the word, you'll end up becoming a letter of the law Christian. You become rigid and cranky. And people won't want to be around you. If you just have the spirit, you'll be lacking knowledge of God's true nature. And you can be misled by other spirits that are not of God. And that's what happens in many cults and even sometimes in the body of Christ. People get misled by other spirits. What did, what did Paul tell us through the Holy Spirit? Satan appears as an angel of light. Sure. Right? Isn't that what happened to Joseph Smith? Moroni showed up in a cave and gave him some golden tablets. And he, he thought, surely this must be God. It wasn't. You guys know who that is? Joseph Smith? Right? Yeah, he's, he's the founder of the uh, cult of Mormonism which is a cult. And, and they t talk about Jesus Christ, but they don't know him as Lord, as the one and only true and living God. We're not putting anyone down. We're just, just putting out, pointing out the differences between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and other spirits. So there are other spirits that want to lead you in different directions away from the reality of Christ and away from the reality of who you are in Christ. Okay, so let's do it. Okay, here we go. The Word of God. What is the Word of God? I've got my Holman Christian Bible here. It was copyrighted in 1996. The binding's coming off, so I, I don't like to take it everywhere I go, but 
I sure do love to read it as much as possible. I've got a bunch on my phone now, too. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 2 as we get started here. Because we're going to talk about something that's a spiritual revelation. It's a spiritual truth. And that's where the life and the power is in the spirit realm. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, this is in the Weiss translation, uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this, but as for us, not the spirit of the world system did we receive. Amen. But the spirit, so there is a spirit of the world system, right? There are other spirits out there. But the spirit who is of God, that's the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. Why, would we, why did God give us His Spirit? In order that we might come to know, to be sure and certain of, and experience, that's what know means, K-N-O-W, the things which by God have been in grace bestowed upon us. So God gave us His Spirit so that we could be sure and certain of and personally experience what He's done for us through Christ. All right? You can't experience them consistently apart from the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, which things also we put into words. This is the primary role of a pastor. That's my parenthetical thing there. So that's not in the least. <laughs> That was just a note to myself. <laughs> but the primary role of a pastor is to put into words the finished work of Christ. Many pastors don't even know that phrase. They weren't taught that in seminary. They were taught man's religion. The primary role of a pastor is to impart spiritual truths, spiritual revelation about what Christ accomplished for us on the cross in his burial and resurrection. All right? We put into words these things, not in words taught by human philosophy. You can't get this anywhere else but by the Holy Spirit. Amen. But in words taught by the Spirit, fitly joining together Spirit-revealed truths with Spirit-taught words. That's what you're hearing right now. That's what you'll hear when you come here. Now, this is, now what, what's a safeguard for us? Because we don't want to be told that everything the person who's the pastor is saying is the Word of God. We need a safeguard because we're all human and we make mistakes, right? What is the safeguard? How do we filter and interpret what we're hearing? The person and ministry of Jesus Christ. He's the safeguard. So if I'm sitting listening to someone who's maybe a world-renowned leader in the body of Christ, I'm filtering what they're saying through the person and ministry of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And if what they're saying doesn't agree with that, it, it goes to my trash can. It does. I'm not keeping that in my mind. It's not going to go in my heart. That belongs to Jesus, okay? So you need to do that when you come here as well, wherever you go. By no means am I claiming to be perfect, and I'm not, okay? And I, I funny, I, I, when we edit the podcast, sometimes I listen to something that I said. I said, I said that was in 1 John 5-2, and it was in 2 John 1 or something. You know, it just, you, sometimes you, you're speaking publicly, and you just say things, and wait a minute, I didn't come out right, you know? So you've got to be alert. You've got to be actively engaged in Christ wherever you go, whatever you're listening to, whatever you're reading, whatever you're watching. 
Okay, so that keeping that in mind, let's talk about what the Word of God really is. John chapter 1, verse 1. We're now talk, looking at God's eternal method of operation. He always begins with His Word. That's how He's always operated. And that's how He will continue to operate. So people say, I just need a touch from God. God, if, if He's given us His Word, He's given us everything. And boy, I'll tell you, in here is everything. You've got it. So, you know, the touch from God comes when you believe His Word. It does. Just take Him at His Word and you'll be touched. Guaranteed. So John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of what? Or is that the beginning? The seventh inning of the World Series? No. It's the beginning. Okay. What, beginning of what? Everything. Before anyone or anything else existed, God is. Right? Well, at that time was the Word. Wait a minute. This was copyrighted in 1996. Is he talking about before 1996? Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here we go. Seatbelts are on? Often, when we talk about the Word of God, we think of the Bible. The religious sirens I can hear and the religious police are, are ready to come. Now, yes, the Bible is the written Word of God. And if you'll study the history of this book and what it's gone through and how these, uh, uh, what do we got, 66 books, 39 and 27, how that's been assembled, it's divine. No doubt about it. It's God-breathed. It's the Word of God. However, that's not what John is talking about. Because my 1996 Holman Bible didn't exist when he wrote this. What's he talking about? Oh, in the beginning was the Word. Not what, who is the Word. Jesus. He is the Word. Why does the Bible call Jesus the Word? Is it saying He's an element of speech? He's a series of letters put together to communicate? No. How do we use words to express what's in our heart? Right? What Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We were made in the image of God. The same is true of Him. Jesus is the expression of God's heart. That's why He's called the Word. Jesus is the expression of the true nature and will of God. It's knowing that that sets you free. Not reading your Bible. Just duck in case any stones came soaring through the air. In fact, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, has the audacity to say in chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus was the exact representation of God's nature. There's no variance between him and the Father. Isn't that amazing? 
So when we talk about the Word of God that we need for the kingdom of God to be activated inside of us, we're talking about the Jesus tree, the kingdom of God growing inside of us. We need the Word and the Spirit. We're talking about a knowledge of His true nature and will. Not reading your Bible. Stay with me. In order for the kingdom of God to be activated inside of you, you need a true knowledge of the will and nature of God the Father. And that true knowledge is personified in Jesus. It is recorded here. But you want to know something? There are other things recorded in the Bible that are not the true nature of God. There's a lot of stuff in here. God gave us this book, but in this book are examples of how to live and how not to live. How to think and how not to think. How are you going to know the difference? You've got to know the nature of God. And it's Jesus. So you can actually, if you don't know the nature of God, you can read the Bible every day and never experience God. You can be an expert in the the scriptures per se, like the Pharisees were, and God could be standing in front of you and you won't recognize him. Yeah, what did Jesus say? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life. Something like that, right? I'm not, am I remembering it right? right? But I'm standing right before you. Eternal life's right in front of your peepers and you can't see me because you're putting your confidence in your own knowledge and wisdom. And in the quote-unquote scriptures, these scriptures talk about me. That's what he said, I think, right? But they tell you of me, right? Are we doing okay? Hmm. So Jesus came so that you would know, be sure of, and certain, and experience daily the true nature and will of God. In fact, it was prophesied of his ministry way back hundreds of years, six or seven hundred years before he came in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. It talked about those that Jesus would minister to, those who would put his faith in him. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is what happens when you begin to understand the nature and will of God. You become very strong inside. You become an oak of righteousness. Things become, you experience healing inside. The, the hurts and pains and tragedies of the past, the Holy Spirit has a way of mending them and healing them and making you new again. Fixing what needs to be fixed inside. And all of the healing and the fixing that you need will, will, will come as you begin to put your faith in the true nature and the will of of God. So, I'm very thankful for this book. It far surpasses any other book in my reading in the last 20, well, let's see, 1989. Is that almost 30 years? That's right. Wow. Huh? Yeah, I came to know the Lord in 1989. So, I've read this book through and through, and I can't get enough of it. But I want you to know this. Um, the Bible can be mistaught and taken out of context. And when that's done, it can put people in bondage and cause miserable lives. In fact, Paul said the letter of the law kills. 
The spirit of it, the nature of God brings life. And that's happened far too often. It's been mistaught, misunderstood, taken out of context. And people have been in churches for decades and they're in bondage. But they know the Bible, quote unquote. But they don't know the nature of God. Do you understand the difference we're making here? This is pen and ink. We can throw this in the trash can, but it doesn't change who God is. Right? He's not bound to pen and ink. He is bound to His Word. His Word and His nature are one and the same. Okay, but this is a written manual that teaches us how to live. Teaches us how to know Him. So the Bible is not the problem. Ignorance of God's nature is the problem. Okay, the Bible is not the problem. Ignorance of His nature and will, that's the problem. So we see that not everything in the Bible is specifically or directly revealing the will of God. Give you a couple popular examples. Uh, 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 the book of Job, one of the most misunderstood books in the entire Bible, has been used uh, ignorantly and put people in bondage. There's a, a famous quote of Job in Job chapter 121. Job, in his ignorance, understand the Bible's a progressive revelation of God. Job is the oldest book. Okay, they had very little light on God's true nature. They didn't have what we have now. Jesus hadn't come. There's some powerful revelations in Job. There's also a lot of ignorance in Job. In his ignorance, he made a statement and said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Not true. Yet that's been taught to people who've lost loved ones and been said at funerals and taught and Christian songs sung about it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. No, he doesn't. He's a good father. Jesus said, I don't give as the world gives. That's how the world operates. They give and take away. Jesus doesn't do that. He gives life and he doesn't take it back. Have you ever noticed there's a difference between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes? Big difference. What is it? Predominantly, Proverbs gives us the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes gives us the wisdom of man. God's not afraid to show us the, the, the reality of of man's ignorance i mean there's some nasty stuff in the bible you name it it's in there murder rape incest abuse uh perversion it's in there that's we see the fallen nature of man on the big screen in the bible we see the nature of satan in the bible stealing killing destroying none of those things are god's will ever but it's in the bible i need to know the nature of god so i can keep things in context when i'm reading the bible how we doing? Okay? So we see Proverbs. Solomon started out right, didn't he? He could ask for anything. He asked God for wisdom. Wisest man, right? But then, man, he got wacky, didn't he? He started getting into all kinds of strange relationships and foreign gods. And then Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes comes along. You read the two back to back, it's like, wait a minute, am I reading the same? Is this in the same Bible? Yes, it is. God shows us contrasts in the Bible so that we can know what's good and what's not, what to believe and what not to believe. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean I'm going to apply it to my life. Are we doing all right? All right? This is so important. Hallelujah. So when we read the Bible, and boy, we can't get enough of it, all right, we specifically look for verses that reveal to us who we are in Christ. Very specifically, we're like bloodhounds when we read the Bible. We're looking to learn who God is, what He's done for us through Christ, and who we are now in Him. Those three things. We're, we're 
When we read it, we're we're looking for that. Specific verses that describe to us God's true nature and will and who we are in Him. Okay? That's how we read our Bible. So you can read the written Bible and not know Jesus. Right? Happens all the time. There's schools that teach us as a class. Bible class. Right? But they don't know Jesus. They don't know His nature. But if you know Jesus who's the nature and will of God, you read the Bible differently because he's living inside of you. And when you have the author living inside of you, you don't need a teacher. I mean, if you have the teacher inside of you, right? Is that in the scriptures? Where's that at? In the epistles? Yeah. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So the role of a pastor is never to manipulate or control you. Boy, have I seen that. Because I'm the one with the revelation, right? So I need to tell you how to live your life. No, sir. No, thank you. Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. My role is is to edify you in the reality of what Christ has done for you. No one has the corner of the market on Jesus. Right? So remember that when you're reading the Bible, if you have a question, ask the Holy Spirit. He'll answer you. Sometimes it might be fairly immediate. Sometimes it's over a course of time. But He's living inside of you. I found sometimes there was just thinking inside that was blocking what He was trying to tell me. But over time, that dissipated, and now I can understand what that verse meant. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. This is your family tree, the Jesus tree. Hallelujah. Oh, God is good. Let's look at this, Psalm 138. I like this, Psalm of David. And I love how he says, first we're going to read it in the New King James. Now, regularly, I look at about 17 different translations. Okay, and actually sometimes more than that, 20, 30. I like looking at different translations because the Bible was written in New Testament Greek, Old Testament Hebrew, and language is a funny thing. It can be misinterpreted. You know, even in, in, in this conversation we're having right now, I might use a figure of speech that you don't understand because I'm from a different place or whatever. But I, 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 So we're going to read it in New King James first. Ready here. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. For your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Remember we said God always starts with the word? But that doesn't quite make sense, does it? You've magnified your word above all your name? Why doesn't that make sense? Let's read it in a New American Standard. The word that's translated above is is a little more clear in this translation. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. God's name and His word are synonymous. God's name reveals His nature and will, and His word reveals His nature and will. So if you've got His word, you've got His name. If you've got His name, you've got His word. Well, we say, Jesus, uh, how wonderful was the song we said? How wonderful... Your name, or, or we sang, what did we sing earlier? His name, His name is wonderful. Yes, thank you. 
Yeah. His name, his nature, his will is wonderful, is what we're saying. Right? The word. Okay, so you've magnified your word according to all your name. So God's word is Jesus, right? He's the expression of God's true nature. And his name is also the expression of his nature. Are you ready for something good? Let's get into this. We're almost done. But you'll be, you'll be glad that we ate a little more. So God is not hiding himself from you. In fact, one of his greatest desires is for you to know him. So his name reveals that to us. His name reveals his will to us. Uh, I think it's like 6,500 times we see in the Bible the proper name of God. Jehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh. Jehovah. We translate it capital L-O-R-D in most translations. We see it throughout the Bible. And it's a powerful word in the Hebrew. It's connected to the verb to be. And yes, it means the self-existent one, the one who, who, who always is, was, and ever shall be. But if you study the name of Jehovah, it's very powerful. And this is what you'll find. More specifically than just to be, it means to become known. Or I'm the one who wants to be known. I'm the one who reveals myself unceasingly. Jehovah. That's his name. I'm the, so every time we say Lord, we're, we're talking to the one who wants to reveal himself unceasingly. Does that match with the ministry of Jesus? He revealed God as Father, didn't he? Sure. So we see this name Jehovah, and you'll see it in most translations, capital L-O-R-D, combined with other names. Like Jehovah Rophe or Opha in Exodus 15. So he says, I am the Lord, your physician or your healer. In other words, I'm the one who wants to be known by you as your healer. Isn't that great? That's why he revealed his name. I mean, why didn't he just call himself Charlie? Nothing wrong with that name. God doesn't just have a name. His name reveals his nature. I'm the one who wants to be known by you as your healer. Jehovah. We sing so many songs about his name, but I want you to realize what we're singing. We're singing about the nature and will of God. How about Jehovah M. Kadesh? In Exodus 31. It means my sanctifier. I'm the one who wants to be known by you as your sanctifier, as the one who makes you holy. So you'll stop trying to do it in your own efforts. And let me be your holiness. Let me be your righteousness. <laughs> Jehovah Yireh or Jireh we say, right? I'm the Lord who wants to be known by you as your personal provider. Jehovah Rohi, I'm the Lord who wants to be known by you as your personal shepherd. Jehovah Sidkenu, righteousness, I'm the one who wants to be known by you as your righteousness. When you realize God is your righteousness, the striving goes. Jehovah Shammah, 
present. I'm the one who wants to be known by you as present with you all the time. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. My name is Jehovah Shammah. I'm always for you. I'm always with you. I'm accomplishing the things that concern you. That's my name. Jehovah Shalom. Shalom. What does that word mean? Yeah, but that's been religified. We've got to de-religify that. Wholeness. We think peace is some kind of floaty, intangible thing. It means wholeness. Prosperity. I'm the Lord who wants to be known by you as your wholeness and prosperity. As your well-being. Hallelujah. That's being, the kingdom of God is being germinated inside of us right now. The oak tree is growing. Now we see in the ministry of Jesus the fulfillment of every one of these names, don't we? Of all the Jehovah names of God. Good, we got just a little bit more time. Now look at Psalm 138 in the New Living Translation. Now, the previous translation says, for you have magnified your word. Remember? New Living says your promises. What? I thought we were talking about the word. What do you mean your promises? Your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. So now we got another thing, the promises of God. Why did he say promises? Same thing. A promise is an expression of the heart. This is something I have in my heart to do for you. That's what Jesus is. He's the expression of God's heart. God loved you so much, He gave His Son. Right? Jesus is the promise of God. So, what does that mean? How are we going to germinate a seed inside of us? When we read the Bible, we are scouring it for the promises of God. Because it's through the promises of God that we experience the nature of God. Okay? The clearest place to see the nature and will of God is in the ministry of Jesus, Matthew through Acts. The clearest place to see the nature of God in the other scriptures are the promises of God. Because he's revealing who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. All right? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says it this way. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Why? So that we can win a Bible B. No. So that by them, you personally may become partakers of the divine nature. Here come the religious police. You partaking of the divine nature? Yes, you're his son and daughter now. He wants you to experience his nature. He wants you to do what his son did in greater things than these. It's time to be who we are. So that you may walk in the life he came to give you. Having escaped the corruption that past tense that is in the world by lust. I love how the message says it. This is great. Speaking of God's promises. They are your tickets to participation in the life of God. So we are experts in the promises of God. We major in them. We fill our hearts and minds with them. We memorize them. We speak them over our lives. We speak them over our families' lives. 
Because they're supernatural. They're the heart of God. So we declare that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. That we do the things Jesus did and greater things than these. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is living in us, giving life to our mortal bodies. This is how we talk to ourselves now. Isn't that good? So when we're reading the Bible this week and today, I want you to be conscious when you come across a promise and stop and soak that thing up for a while. We don't get any points for how many times we read through this book. Okay? We experience life by knowing Him. All right? So our goal is not to memorize the Bible. Our goal is to know Him. Okay? Because you can get religious with this. I know more scriptures than they do. I, well, I know that. I know that. I know that. It's, not a, you know, it's about knowing his nature and will, not about memorizing the Bible. And I memorize probably hundreds, maybe thousands of scriptures. But that's not my goal. My goal is to know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, it really boils down to that. Any problem that we have is fixed by your goodness. We just simply need to realize how much you love us and how good you are. Because you have provided richly for us all things to enjoy through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your nature and your will through your name, through your word, and through your promises. And we thank you that your kingdom is expanding inside of us. That we are oaks of righteousness, a planning of you for the display of your splendor. We thank you for your glory manifest in our lives, for people being set free, for you uh, flowing through us to change others' lives, to break chains and bondages, to heal and to set free. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, your nature, and your will strong in us. And we give you glory for it. You're so kind. Your gentleness has made us new. We thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.